Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. question hit me okay what is the smartest animal you would willingly eat uh, open to everybody uh willingly willingly like not like you're stranded on like right. you're stranded on an island and like a gorilla just died like not like that like something that uh-huh. you would willingly eat like anything yeah like uh, out of all the animals what's the smartest animal you would an I, animal that that possibly has yeah. consciousness i guess a pig even though i don't really eat meat but i'm gonna go with pig okay okay i mean that's i guess that that is it is weird that that's one that we regularly. Yeah. I mean, I again, I don't eat, I don't eat pork, right? But yeah, that it is weird that 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 one we don't we've we've kind of all sort of just accepted that one. Yeah, I'm not. But here, really here's a the other fan. weird thing is like as someone because like most people most people have dogs so they compare everything to the intelligence of dogs like you feel guilty yeah. eating something. Even though I think people want to ignore that pigs are possibly smarter than dogs, like people, mm. they don't like the idea of eating a smart animal. Here's the thing: right. I have a pet gecko. Is a, I have huh. always had pet lizards. Lizards are dumb, so I very regularly eat animals smarter than my pets. Oh, wait, that what? that's <laughs> kind of wild to think about, actually. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, uh, Michelle. Where are you at on this? It's a really interesting question. That's a really good open-ended, like, question. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, I don't know. Like, can you repeat the question? Okay. (laughs) So, the smartest animal that you would willingly eat? Because for me, I think it tops out at an octopus. Um, I I know there's, like, that documentary that came out recently about how smart they are, but, like... I've had some really good octopus. They taste good, you know? And it's like, like, I don't, I don't even, I haven't, I'm not even sure how guilty I'm supposed to feel about that because I like, you know, I'm somebody that would maybe look down on you if you were eating dolphins. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that as well. Yeah, I feel like also there's maybe a bit of a supply and demand problem with a dolphin, with eating dolphins regularly. Yeah. Also, have you ever had dolphin fish? what yeah like if huh? you go if if you're like um you if you're eating fish at like a beach fish shack in florida a lot of times you'll see dolphin on the menu but it's spelled with an f and Weird. when you see it spelled with the f you know it's dolphin fish it's mahi mahi oh yeah so mm. you know just that that fun fact if you're ever find yeah. yourself at uh 
I love these trivia facts. If you find yourself at Frenchie's on Clearwater Beach sometime, you know, and you're debating between betwi- debating between that and the grouper sandwich, it's don't worry. Dolphin right. is a fish. Okay. But yeah, okay. I, I, but yeah, that's because you know it's like I don't know why because there's places in the world where eating dog is acceptable right, and yeah. and and traditional and whatnot. But like, I'm not gonna eat a chimpanzee. No, because like no. one, that's that is in part how AIDS got transmitted to humans. Not that I think all chimps have AIDS. Like, yeah. just just like it just seems like a bad idea. And I just feel like humanity has learned that was bad karma. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, not a great idea to eat things. I feel like that just like don't nutritionally serve a purpose for us to eat that's kind of my outlook on it like right yeah yeah and I, I, I see yeah it needs it, need, it needs to be like <laughs> yeah. proportional biomass like yeah well like my whole thing was like like i don't really eat meat and, and i know michelle doesn't really either but like though i guess you eat more meat than i do to be fair but like i'm not really into like beef necessarily mm-hmm. like eating beef like i do like every now and then i rarely eat pork even though that's kind of what i said but i feel like i i don't because i look at pigs as very smart and i know mm-hmm. one time when we went to check out one of the colleges you were looking at michelle um they had a it was like in the agriculture department they had a pig running around with somebody who was like i don't know oh Rutgers. Doing... yeah yeah and that the pig was literally like it, it literally acted like a dog and i was like yeah that ended that for me i can't see this any other way <laughs> Why did I change? Oh, right. So my thing with like chickens is like, I feel Mm -hmm. like if anything, chickens are kind of like fine for me because they're kind of insane. Mm. Once I found that the chickens, if if one of them is sick, they will eat it in the coop Mm -hmm. or like, you know, that they can be cannibalistic kind of freak me out. So for you, it's more of like, we need to assert our dominance over the chickens or else they will rise up against us. No, (laughs) no. I mean... (laughs) I don't know. Like, I feel like I saw this like... great documentary called Chicken Run. <laughs> oh, the, you know, yeah. what a good callback. Well, okay. And you know what? I'm just going to say this too before we get into it today. Uh-huh. I was down a bizarre YouTube hole the other day where th- this was after, after the Super Bowl. Like a week later, I re remembered the Super Bowl. Right, and I remember remember how Shaggy was in that one commercial? No. Like the rapper? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um and uh, and it was like a Cheetos commercial or something with Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis. I didn't see it, but that oh, sounds okay. right. Okay. Anyways, so I was thinking about that song, you know. You know, uh-huh. it wasn't me. So I'm like, I'm going I I pull up YouTube, I start playing that song and listening to it while I'm working on something, just you know, uh-huh. really reminiscing about the days, right? Right, right. And then I'm like, oh wait, let's listen to uh uh what's the other one? Miss Mr. Boombastic? Yes. Yeah, yeah, Boombastic. Yeah, Biggie yes. um, Cheese. Yes. Yes. And yes, then Andy. okay, you're ahead of me. Oh. Um, and then I'm like, wait a second, wasn't that song in Barnyard? Yes. So then I'm like, and I'm like, this is a very sexual song. How did they fit that into that very weird kids movie? And I want Fever Dream. Yeah. Then I pull up Barnyard, and now I'm watching clips from Barnyard, <laughs> just like alone in my room, like trying to fathom that this was a real movie, and it's so 
awkward looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, like that, that I, I saw that movie once in the theater and then never saw it again. So I'm really? just like, yeah. Oh, I, I had wait, it on I, DVD. Yeah. It was one of my, fa- I loved that movie. The, the part <laughs> where, where the, where the, I think it was the dad, even though I'm pretty sure they both were female. <laughs> but, you know, that's a topic well, for another was, day. Oh, they were trans. Yeah, um, no, all the cows were trans because they all have udders. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was, Yeah, but, like, I remember I was watching it as a kid, and it was the part where the dad was singing the song, and, and he got... Back yeah, down. Yeah, and the coyote <laughs> yeah. ate him, and I started sobbing. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, <laughs> I remember that. Oh my god! It was so emotional. I was like, "Oh my god!" But I watched the TV show as a kid, oh, and I loved it. I god. thought it was an absolute prime humor. Oh, <laughs> it, it, was the, it is rough. The, it was it made no t- sense. The TV show is even more awkward. Yeah, because right? it's downgraded animation. But already, like, because. I feel like Jimmy Neutron transcended its its movie. I thought, I swear to God, I thought Jimmy Neutron was a TV show before the movie, but I no, saw the movie. The, the movie kickstarted the whole thing. No, I know, but I saw the movie in theaters too. So explain oh. that one to me. I have a false memory. It's, it's <laughs> of the really chronology um, of Jimmy Neutron. Yeah. I never saw the movie. I just watched the show. Oh, when did it yeah. come out? When did that? Come oh out? God, that know. was like two thousand and two. Three? I want to say not, it was around. Yeah. I want to say it was around then. Yeah, you Listen, were probably like two. I saw Michelle. it because I saw the fairy odd parents, like the uh, you know the that special yeah. they had with the yeah, fairy odd yeah. parents. Yeah, right. And right. I was like, yo, <laughs> what? Yeah, you said that exact same thing at five years old too. Yeah, word for word. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And I, I mean, I, I enjoyed Jimmy Neutron. I think like when Barnyard would come on, I was too perplexed by it. I was like, this just seems because, because also I, I think they changed some of the characters from the movie too, right? Yeah, yes. They got rid of the girl and they replaced her or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, she was like and pregnant. Like, and yeah. I remember so being what, like, yeah. So what? Yeah. How did she get pregnant? <laughs> We don't talk about it, Zan. And then suddenly she had like a southern accent. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I know we've we've already talked about this, but like it was, you know, and it's like th- there there was some bizarre coding going on in that movie as well. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, we were talking. Let's what we're here to talk about, and I guess I think Barnyard epitomizes this. Yes. Is animal intelligence that's Mm -hmm. right folks welcome to the six month mark of the uncanny county museum you have stuck with us through 25 uh we hope enjoyable mildly enjoyable (laughs) exhibits so welcome to number 26 we've been doing this half a year how do we feel well, I'll say we feel pretty good. I don't know about y'all out there in the audience listening to us, yeah. but um, yeah, it's been a wild ride so far in covering all kinds of terrain, literally. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yes, you know. and we're here in the Uncanny County Museum uh, aviary, the mm-hmm. uh, 
it's uh we, we named actually this aviary after Stephen avery this is the Stephen avery oh aviary. nice yeah you know not not you know because he's not dead but yeah we, right we, we support him yes absolutely um, yeah I, I i don't know what we have that we can name after brendan bassey but um in a mm. stunning display of nepotism uh we have our contest winner of uh here with us today uh would you like to introduce yourself hi my name's michelle and i'm joey's sister Aww, yeah. joey that's wholesome <laughs> thanks for driving up here michelle really appreciate you appreciate having you here uh to lead and help talk about this exhibit that we have going on um and you are studying animal intelligence and also just animal studies zoology right so I'm currently majoring in zoology and minoring in environmental science. Awesome. Mm-hmm. But I found out from this god of a professor mm. at Penn State who basically said, oh, yeah, you can go into veterinary, but you can also do behavioral studies, too. Mm. Like, that exists. Oh. And I was like, oh, my God, that's <laughs> so cool. So I really want to go into that. And hopefully I can go to vet school, but. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you will. Right. And, uh, bright future ahead, and you 100%. know, uh, you. I think you can speak with a bit more authority than uh, Joe and I can on this topic that we're both very interested in, especially as like, I, I think I think this does tie into the art world right now, where mm-hmm. we're you know, uh, look looking at posthumanism as a potential field yeah. of the future or maybe how we will categorize the this period of art we're in uh yeah it's Mm -hmm. a it's one of the like five leading topics or trends that have been kind of setting the stage which actually it goes really nicely with like anthropocentrism which is also dying out and moving into like um the capitalist scene which also has to do with you know animals and how we treat them and so on which i think is interesting yeah. Uh, for our connection, I know Michelle has done research with uh, two of our dogs, one being Athena since past a few years, gosh, six years ago now, or five, and um, our current dog, Bear, who's our family dog, and I know he's rather intelligent of a lad mm. and annoying sometimes, but I love him. I find animals named after other animals are always funny to me. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's an interesting it's an interesting well i always now think of bear mccready the famous composer for the god of war soundtrack and black sails hmm. so or vanessa bear yeah. it's not I really not really spelled the same but oh no th- his name is actually bear like uh. b-e-a-r so that's kind of mm-hmm. dope i guess mm-hmm. uh, yeah yeah i mean we should probably also note that they're both Siberian Huskies. Ah, so, yes. Ah. Um, we're just going to put a big asterisk here that I haven't took taken any animal intelligence classes. This is just purely off my observations. Yeah, but that's well, awesome. Yeah. Two well, neither, neither Siberian have we. <laughs> yeah, neither we have we. We just okay, <laughs> But we just need to let this audience know here to take everything I'm saying with a little bitty grain of salt, okay? Yeah. I don't feel like cu- this Look, coming yeah, to back to are, bite me. But you know, we, I, I, I think we, we're both, we're all here people that dabble in a lot of different stuff, yeah. and I think we can talk with a 
yeah, we can all sort of talk from our experiences, stuff we've read about, and stuff we've 100%. kind of observed, because I think that's an important thing that we talk about here is sometimes things that uh, we notice that we wish that we try to articulate a little better and, mm-hmm. and explore and try to see if other people have noticed these uh, similar phenomena in um, in science, culture, art, what have you. Yeah. Um, but in particular, uh, this was a topic that we had been very excited to mm-hmm. uh, cover for a while. And um, since uh, this was our suggestion for our six-month exhibit figured we would uh get wink into wink it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes in, in a completely yeah. in a completely uh incredibly competitive and fair yeah. contest uh you know <laughs> um so diving right into it um we're here in the aviary uh because i feel like when we look to forms of life that have that are you know non-human intelligence a lot of the times we look to birds yes yeah i would say so mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. yeah oh watch out you got a you got a parrot on your shoulder oh god please that, that, oh, hi so yeah i'm yeah. this shoe poly oh, okay. oh it's a polygon i've already used that show uh, <laughs> before ah <laughs> uh, crack myself up so uh yeah so you know, birds. I what what I kind of wanted to talk about was birds appear to exhibit a fundamentally different kind of intelligence than uh, humans do. Just in in the sense that we we think of ourselves when we look for intelligence, we try to look for the individual problem solver. I mean, this even yeah. extends to birds. We like you know, like even in Aesop's Fables, you know, which are so old yeah that you know go back to like ancient greece but you know they still talk about um crows solving problems crows understanding water displacement yeah but one thing in particular i wanted to talk about was the work of uh a scientist named ian cozen or Mm. cowzen i'm not entirely sure how to pronounce his last name but uh, his work is in something called metacognition. Are you guys? Are either of you guys familiar with this? Uh, I'm not. Michelle, are you? Um, I probably heard of the term, maybe once or twice, but I'm not too familiar yeah. with it. So, uh, Cousin's uh, work basically looks at how on earth do birds flock? Because we, it's something that we really take for granted, and rather than really uh you know because again we when we think of super intelligent animals we think of dogs and cats that learn to open doors we think of elephants and chimps solving puzzles but when we're looking at animals in their natural environment not solving human-made puzzles you have to sort of stand in awe of how birds flock and you have to ask yourself how on earth do all of these animals that like for, first of all flight itself is like it comes a little short of a miracle that you know yeah that that these ba- basically the the descendants of reptiles figured out flight <laughs> 
And then that they're able to coordinate themselves so that just huge, huge swarms of individuals all seem to fly with similar uh, direction and purpose, and they all seem to respond to each other. And this is is deceptively uh, complex, not only because, you know, these... First of all, you know, it, it's a question in the first place, like why even birds do this, why they right. flock, uh, sometimes called the shapes are called uh, murmurations. Mm. But never mind the why, it's it's how. How do you get all of these individuals moving without colliding with each other? And how do you get them all going in the same uh, direction? And there's there's been a couple of like uh, physics and uh, statistical uh swings taken at this trying to figure it out there's uh one scientist named wayne potts uh who studied the birds flocking and he found that they seem to be uh responding to things happening faster than should you should be able faster than you would be able to pick up based on visual cues which you would think Mm. is how they're doing it right so th- there's really this mystery because they're like, they seem to be responding to things as they happen, which, you know, when it, when when someone throws a baseball at you, you, you have to react to it, to catch it. You, For sure. You know, even though it's an incredibly short amount of time, like the, it, it takes time for the light to hit your eyeball and your eyeball to tell your brain what's going on and then for you to think of how you're going to respond. Right. Yeah, right, right. so all of these flocking birds seem to be very capable of understanding this, and it could be an indication of several different things. This w- could be implications for a variety of different kind of intelligences. There, there's even uh, one scientist in particular, uh, Rupert Sheldrake, that, you know, and, and totally serious, suggesting birds have mental telepathy. Okay, because it hit the reasoning being birds seem to be aware of waves of motion happening in their flocks uh, behind them, like that they should not technically be able to see and react to. Huh? Yeah. And and this present this presents just a huge problem in how we understand the universe to work, how we understand just our plane (laughs) of existence, how that works. But uh, yeah, uh, do do you guys have any thoughts on this? Because because we're gonna solve it right now. (laughs) This is it. Oh, that's why we dragged you in here. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I don't. I don't know. I mean, mean, like when I always thought of intelligence, even as a kid, because this like really sparked when I saw How to Train Your Dragon as an eight year old, (laughs) and I saw Toothless have a personality Mm -hmm. that is really human like, and Mm -hmm. I was like oh my God, are all animals like this too? Like, do animals have personalities like us? Like, can they, you know, like, are they as smart as us? So that really started my curiosity. So then that's when I started, like, experimenting, quote unquote, with Athena, because I was like, okay, like, does she know how to hit something or to sit? Or, like, how fast does she respond? Or, like, if I started noticing, like, if she has a certain personality, like, for example, I always compare her to Beyonce because mm-hmm. she is like the literal queen. That's always how she was. She was really snobby 
She was always <laughs> she just cracking her head up like, mm, don't talk to me. Don't touch me. Okay, I'm flawless. Okay. Like that, that was her personality. And it was really interesting. And I started observing that more. And then when Bear came along, oh my gosh, he is like, the way he responds to different things is so fascinating to me. Mm. Like I remember when I was trying to teach him how to high five, he was getting so frustrated that he literally <laughs> sighed. He was like, <sighs> and then he pawed me like, and I was like, does he understand frustration? Right. Like, does he feel yeah. that way too? And I started like, that started really getting my curiosity about that. So mm-hmm. that was one of the things I really wanted to study mm-hmm. was like, how do animals think in a way of like, personality wise i guess i don't know like if they have similar consciousness as we do for example or something like that i don't know (laughs) yeah yeah. i mean Uh, well this is like i mean going back to like even in the 70s you know john berger has this essay that i've i've read a couple of times called why look at animals mm -hmm. and you know he talks a lot about the projection that human beings have onto animals that we want to see our experiences reflected in them that we want to like you know project our own morals and whatnot onto them our own emotions and that you can't it's so difficult to even know if they do because the closer we study animals we start learning that we cannot anthropomorphize them that we can't project onto them because they 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 have a, a different experience than us so you know it's not to say that they don't have emotions and they don't have reactions to things like we do it's just that theirs will always be separated by the fact Mm. that they're they're a different species even though they do you know share existence with us you know he has this one part where he talks about you know when you come upon an animal in the forest and you look at it you know you are looking at that animal as a part of its environment as a part of uh its landscape and the animal is looking at you that way as well and we don't really do that with each other we we almost can't we're almost kind of incapable of of seeing seeing a person walking through the woods and not saying like that doesn't go there um Mm -hmm. yeah you know it's it's the rare opportunity we have of being looked at but but here's here's the interesting thing is like the thing that I wonder about is do animals, how do the animal, and, and how could we even know? But like, how can animals, how how did, how much do they separate us from other animals in their head? Because a, a crucial, a big part of human experience, you know, even if you, you know, go through history, you know, of animals being deities, animals being sacred there is always this thing to like define everything in terms of animals not people like we don't even like right using ourselves as descriptors everything is in relation to animalistic terms uh because we subconsciously or intentionally in some cases we separate ourselves from animals in our mythology a lot of the times so do animals see us as a distinct but still just another animal or are we bizarre Mm. enough looking and we behave oddly enough compared to other animals that are are we 
are we even categorized so separately to animals? And it's it's something that I wonder about a lot. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a really interesting question. I mean, personally, I think before we started, like, I guess the word would be colonizing. I don't know, like, started developing more of ourselves. Like, our population started growing more. And mm-hmm. we started treating animals more poorly as the years went by, I mean, like hundreds of years, I think they looked at us as first as another species of animals, I guess, because, I mean, we are. Mm-hmm. Right, we are right. a mammal. And uh-huh. then I think as slowly as we started becoming more violent towards other animals around the world, I think now the gen... I, I wonder if they adapted to now look at us as almost like a... T- like, as like a... A fear thing. I don't know. Like, I, yeah, it's a really good question. Well, because like that's like, the thing. It's like know. it's almost like a paradox. Um, because then, are you just projecting, or are we in this case? Because I, I'm kind of into the same idea as you. Are we then projecting our own morals onto yeah. them as well? Like, is that our perspective of how they would see us? Like, do you see what I mean? Where it's yeah. Like, see, like you kind of reminded me of something because I get really uh, like, I guess, kind of frustrated when people set boundaries on types of animals like oh mm-hmm. well a dog and a cat aren't threatening but like a tiger oh my god oh, they are yeah. super threatening they're gonna kill us and then you like and then i started like wondering to myself like is that really true though like are they actually like like obviously like if you go and try to pet a tiger it's probably gonna kill you because it thinks mm-hmm. you're a threat yeah. but like you know i see these videos of these people who tame these like wild animals quote like mm-hmm. quote unquote and are actually just like like how a dog or a cat would be like really friendly like i've seen ones of yeah. like of like leopards or like lions well, even yeah. and it just kind of gets me wondering like about how people kind of started putting like categories right and i think that's really interesting well you got you have a couple of different things going on there i think because uh domestication is a whole yeah. thing i mean mm-hmm. granted well what just solely ba- based on the fact that humans are in contact with dogs more th- this number is going to be skewed but yes you know dogs kill way more people annually than uh than tigers or sharks mm-hmm. or tiger yeah. sharks oh. uh <laughs> 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 <Ew>. <laughs> um yeah so I mean, dogs kill way more people. Pigs kill way more people. Yeah. So, but I I think the issue there is, well, I feel like that's almost falling into that trap though, because we look at a tiger, we look at it being docile, you know, if all of its needs are being met, and you know, then they can they can turn on us. It's it's the Sea World orca problem, mm. you know mm-hmm. that you are dealing with intelligent animals that, you know, you can kind of curb their behavior uh, by by feeding them and getting them used to your presence. But at the end of the day, they're not domestic animals. They, mm-hmm. right. uh, to, to, at the risk of anthropomorphizing evolution and personalizing, personifying evolution, mm-hmm. and, uh, domesticated animals have made a choice. And, and I, I, you guys understand what I'm saying. Choice yeah, yeah, evolutionarily, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything in evolution is a trade-off. Mm-hmm. Domesticated animals have sort of given up their freedom 
to be protected and uh, and basically propagated by humans, you know, to the point where, you know, we're all a lot of domesticated animals would not survive in the wilderness. Right. Or the the habitats that they that their ancestors were domesticated from might not even exist anymore. So domestication adds a little bit of fogginess, I think. So like I like you're going to see behaviors that we see cats do in a tiger, sure. Um and you know, I I think tigers are capable of getting used to humans and being friendly, but you know, one due due to their size and also I think just mm-hmm. the fact that they are not domesticated animals, I even hesitate to put that much like that that much into mm-hmm. you know watching people that interact with them because i think you know a tiger king aside people that <laughs> people that you know work in zoos and work in preserves i think they they have to have that healthy amount of respect that this could go very south very quickly you know yeah mm-hmm. well i feel like um in a lot of the cases too it's that kind of like in um intuitive connection or that sort of like, I don't know what you would call it, but almost like that third thing mm-hmm. that you can kind of connect with animals on. You yeah. know, call it what you will, but I feel like that's like always present no matter what. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, curious. Like some, some sort of weird unspoken agreement. And yeah. And, but like, because oh, like even just like with the, with the birds, like you were talking about, like I almost wonder if it's that just sort of like moment or notion where they kind of understand intuitively, like this is what we have to do instinctively, whatever you want to call it. And that's why, but it's like, it's that sort of thing we don't necessarily understand fully. Yeah. Because even yeah. like, like what Michelle's saying, um, which I think, I think it's really curious, but yeah, yeah. Like domestication aside, I think it's, it's interesting to kind of level the playing field on a lot yeah. of things and start to be like, well, okay, well, hold on. Well, why not? Like, or what happens or how do they, how do they view us? How do animals view us? Like, I know yeah. that certain ones will in certain ways and others won't like crows, for instance, will they, mm-hmm. I think they understand kind of what we are. Maybe that, not that we're humans, but they, ha- they understand it enough to hold grudges, but to right, also yeah. like, but to also be nice. Well, that's yeah. like Ravens have had the tendency to actually be nice if you're nice to them. But I think even that is so interesting to me because there's a lot of like, quote unquote, human behavior within these Corvids. But at the same time, it's it's frustrating in a way because I don't know if we'll ever actually know. Well, yeah, but but I mean, even you're you're saying like there's human behavior in these Corvids, you know, birds that we've known for now centuries are very intelligent. Um, and we're only just starting to understand how yeah. intelligent. Um, there's there's another uh, person, uh, Jean-Christophe Bailey, uh, gave this uh, presentation uh, that I read recently. Oh. And, you know, sort of going going off of Berger's, you know, assessment that we cannot know what it is like to be an animal, so we cannot project things onto him. Uh, Bailey takes it kind of a step further and, mm. you know, sort of points out our language, our, our use of language, it seems to hold us back because language is almost a placeholder. It, it masks the things that we don't know, the unspoken things, these these sort of 
connections that I think both of you are, are alluding to. Right. Because it's not so much that like the crows are exhibiting human traits. It's that human, it's that we are all sharing existence together. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And exactly. on, on this, yep. on, we are all on the same plane and we are all reacting to these things to, to stimuli and whatever else. And that we are expressing it in different ways and we're interpreting it in in different ways but we are all still experiencing things as experience we are we all are existing together and i think that's more of what we're seeing yeah. is you know they're, they're not necessarily behaving in a human-like way they're just sort of reacting similarly to mm-hmm. uh to existing um i mean even going back to the, the bird thing for just a second there's a uh Another scientist who's a, a statistical physicist, uh, Andrea Cavanza, uh, mm. or Cavagna, sorry. And, you know, uh, they're, they're studying basically birds in Rome, actually, and all the flocks of starlings Ooh. and everything. And basically that research suggests that birds are able to flock... The, based on the number of neighbors they have in the flock, like the number of individuals around them. So really it's not that the entire flock is, you know, like you're like, you know, we, the way we used to think about this was, okay, well there must be somebody in charge, right? Yeah. I I think that was just sort of the, Mm -hmm. the very humanist or maybe, maybe that's even too Eurocentric, but like that was just the idea that there's, there's got to be someone at the top that's uh, deliberating instructions. Um, but how on earth do you control all of those individuals? And really, it seems like from, from all of this research that's gone into uh, how birds flock, it seems to be based on just a couple of things. One is the, the bird, each individual bird is kind of acting on their own. Like they're acting mm. on their own with interests that are selfish that are self-preservation but because they all are acting selfishly and individualistically in their survival it benefits the group to be selfish so now we're getting into some weird gordon gecko greed is good territory what Uh, yeah uh so Yeah, so it would suggest that all of these birds, basically one individual bird says, okay, I have, at all times, I will have this many neighbors flying around me, and that's all I have to keep track of. And this works in such a way that each individual bird is doing that, so they all seem to be flocking as as individuals, and you're seeing this pattern extrapolated just by there being so many individuals. So, you know, it happens because they, they react to those around them and because it kind of creates like a chain reaction. Yeah. Yeah. It's this whole mosaic of individuals rather than maybe a, a telepathic hive mind. However, (laughs) however, cousin, uh, still has one thing that kind of does delve into this realm of maybe physics that we don't quite understand yet. Cause you know, going back to what I was originally saying, you know, 
they're like, wow, that's a smart dog. It knows this many tricks. Or even, what, what's that dog on TikTok that, like, understands all the words, Bunny? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. When they press the buttons and it yeah. was, like, having a conversation. Oh, I thought yeah. that was so interesting. That was Yeah, wild. it is very, very it's interesting. Very bizarre. Well, I remember hearing from something. I think it was, like, a study they did with a bunch of dogs, and it was, like, yeah. the most intelligent breed was, I believe it was a Border Collie. It was like one of the top, and it was because they can understand about 100. I, correct me if I'm wrong on this, okay? I think it's around 150 to 170 words. It was somewhere around that time, like that frame. Wow. In the hundreds. So that's kind of reminded me of that. I was like, they, wow. they're able to pinpoint things Interesting. together. Yeah. I mean, but I okay, but the, the thing <laughs> is, we're like, that's. Gosh, that's so interesting. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, okay. Sure. And you know yeah. what I was, what I'm starting to do, like what yeah. I'm doing with my dog right now is I'm comparing how fast and how quickly he understands audio commands mm-hmm. versus a hand command. So yeah. what I'm starting to do is I'm doing like these monthly trials going through like seven, like seven to 10 different tricks and there's an audio command to it, and then I made a hand command to it. Hmm. Like, for example, like, to sit, I would, like, um, like wave my hands down. But then when I do an audio command, it would just be sit. And hmm. what I've been doing is I would do it monthly where I would time him and see how fast he reacts. Hmm. And I've only did it for two week, like, two months so far. But I'm already seeing that he's slowly starting to, like, the time's decreasing of how fast he responds. Mm. But it was really fascinating because different tricks that were more, like, intermediate, according to National Geographic's book of training, (laughs) 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 Um, he responds quicker than to, like, hand commands than Mm. to the basic ones, like, for basic commands such as, like, sit, lay down, you know? He he's better at um, you yeah. saying it. Interesting. Interesting. So I'm curious where yeah. this is gonna go. Um, <laughs> but like, I find that really interesting. I mean, nonverbal communication is is such a such a big part of. I I think as we're learning currently in a Zoom world and a virtual world, like we're realizing yeah. how much of our conversations are nonverbal. And yeah. the difficulties that everyone is having communicating just via email and text and Zoom, like, because yeah. even if, like, we can see each other's faces, like, like I mean, basically, the, the way that Joe and I typically talk, where <laughs> we, we interrupt each other as we're, as we're agreeing with each other. Yeah, exactly. Like, that is, that is a part of conversation. Yeah. Uh, and you cannot do that over zoom and it makes us it it hinders our ability to communicate but Mm -hmm. i mean even the the, sorry to go back to your thing about the uh like the nonverbal thing the interesting thing is like we think of okay like if you're gonna rank like elephants dogs and chimps chimps show a huge amount of intelligence and capability of understanding language so we put them really high however Chimps have a lot harder time understanding pointing at things, huh, which elephants and dogs can understand much more. Oh inherently. my god! Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can I can back up that with my yeah. with my own dog. 
Oh my god! He, <laughs> literally, as Owen, say, he's like, I got just it. Say the as, as opposed to your chimpanzee. <laughs> well. <laughs> Hi there. My name is Colby White, and I'm one of the hosts from Force Football Facts, a podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game, even though he doesn't know anything about it. We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, he now knows that if you just say, show me, he will tell you what he wants. Oh, yeah. And it's either through eye commands like he will look one way with his eyes yeah. and be like it's over there mm-hmm. or he will use his like body to point yeah, to kind of point or he will like paw something yeah you know it's it's i find it really interesting yeah the ability he's able to do that it's mm-hmm. so cool i remember seeing a video you probably saw it both of you it was this video of this i think it was a gorilla Hmm. Or it might have been chimpanzee. I forget. It's one of them, and they were doing sign language. <laughs> I know they're different, yeah, but like... it was like my my memory is like remember seeing <laughs> that could. type of form. I remember just seeing it, and it was this video of them doing sign language mm-hmm. with like another like with a human or whatever. And I thought that was uh, so yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. And like yeah. I remember there was another video I saw. Of this, have you seen it on iFunny of like the video of the guy showing the gorilla his phone? Oh uh, yeah, like, he's like, he's <laughs> typing it to understand. And it was yeah. like, what? Yeah, it's pretty wild. God, have you ever read the Michael Crichton book Congo? I know about no. it, but I haven't. I haven't read it. And then they made that weird movie with I- Tim Curry. <laughs> yeah, I know about the movie. Uh, Michael Crichton is the guy who did a Jurassic Park. So, right? Ooh. Michael Crichton. Yeah, yeah, Michael yeah, yeah. Crichton okay. wrote Jurassic Park. I found yeah. out uh, recently he was like super tall. Oh, really? Wait, how tall? Like <laughs> Like really tall, like 6'9". <laughs> Bro. Whoa, giant on. over here. Listen, I'm 5 foot 1, okay? <laughs> like <laughs> <It's> really tall. <laughs> he's like, he's like <laughs> this is the size of me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be like, "Oh, <laughs> you have to look up." Yeah. It's well, like, like uh, the, the thing was like neck. he was he was a he was a doctor. He went to medical oh. school. Can you imagine a doctor that tall? I mean, I'm just kind of picturing Stephen Merchant. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, you know, like how God. he was in in Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I, oh no. God, I love I love whenever Stephen Merchant shows up in anything. <laughs> yeah. Same. Yeah. Even if he shows up, it's like. And, and it's the weirdest thing because he's like, for some reason, it, he was. I don't. I don't know whether this is a knock against him or not, but like, God, he makes a good Gestapo officer. Yeah, yeah, he does. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, um, but like one of those like kind of British Nazis. Uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, as we see. Oh, yeah. My God. Um, oh, but um, but yeah, no, this is okay. So like. But but the thing I kind of wanted to get to was, okay, all of these are like, like, even if we talk about like Alex, the gray parrot, gray parrots, I think are they're mm. the most intelligent of the parrots because they can actually talk. And Alex could under Alex had a huge vocabulary. 
Um, you know, he was studied for years, but there, these are, you know, these individuals that we teach and we are basically instructing them on how to perform human demonstrations of intelligence. Right. What I, the reason I was, I, I really got fixated on this whole bird flocking thing is because I think it demonstrates a type of intelligence that we do not consider when we try to measure animals' intelligences. Because we can understand something like, like there are dolphins that use tools. Like interesting. I yeah, th that. there's dolphins, and and it's not instinctual because it's isolated to a very specific population off Australia, where they um they break off sponge colonies and basically use it as a glove on their uh, snouts to like probe around in the sand. You know, what? it's basically a glove. Whoa. You, oh, you know, so yeah, neat. basically using the cone of the sponge. Yeah, it, it's, huh. it's it's tool use, but they have to learn it. You know, we understand right. that type of intelligence. What bird flocks demonstrate is collective intelligence. Yeah. Um, This idea that no one individual is in charge, even, but that doesn't mean that your individual experiences do not contribute to the group. Like, there's evidence to suggest that like birds use like distributed intelligence that like it's kind of your job as an individual to know this thing like you remember these things because you are this old and you remember this one time you had to fly by this one place and there was food or there was a place to roost and like the birds seem to vote when they flock and if you are a mm. very strongly opinionated minority you can guide the entire flock based on uh, your uh, experience, and your experience affects your 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 knowledge affects the group. And to even go back, like this goes back a ways, like all the way back when we were talking about um, the death, the extinction of the passenger pigeons. Mm. This is now being looked at as a possible cause of the decline of the passenger pigeon. Because you have to look at, you know, okay, sure, there were so many individuals, like, it, it felt innumerable, it, they, it felt inexhaustible as a resource. Right. right, right. But if you take out enough of those individuals, it's like you're eating away at a brain, you know? which is maybe oversimplifying oh. it, but that's really what you're doing. You're eating away at that collective group intelligence. It's like removing books out of a library. It's, you are, you are, because the birds do not, it's not one bird's job to remember everything. Right. It's the, it's the hope that there are enough individuals that know enough things that it distributes itself uh, through the flock. And that is a, being looked at as a possible explanation as to how passenger pigeons and really a lot of animals that are, that are you know, big group animals that go extinct, like, they might have some sort of collective intelligence that isn't even necessarily directly communicated. And there was a really cool example of this in, in, in the past, and I wanted to share this because I thought this was so interesting. Yeah, um, please do. Because this is an example of humans doing this. Oh. And this would go mm. against basically Greek philosophy. You know, basically the idea that you can reason with an individual, but 
you cannot have pure democracy because a group of people will always be a mob and a group of people will always be mob mentality. This is the thing that we all are vaguely aware of that it is. And as we're seeing mm-hmm. right now in our, current, yeah. <laughs> in our current political landscape yeah. is very yeah. difficult to explain complex things to large groups of people at once because right. we do mm-hmm. not have a very good way of, of communicating that. However, and this has been replicated since Sir Francis Galton in 1906, basically went to a fair with an ox and he said, Guess the weight of this ox. Everyone can come up and put a guess in the box. Mm-hmm. And the individuals were almost entirely wrong. Like, the the guesses were kind of all over the place, and no one guessed the exact weight of the ox. However, right. when they were all averaged, for, for context, the weight of the ox, 1,198 pounds. Wow. Hmm. And when you averaged all of the guesses of all the fairgoers, you got 1,197 pounds. Jesus, what? Yes. So, on some level, even though, you know, we don't demonstrate this because we're not flocking animals. Right. But humans on some level are capable of collective intelligence. That... You and and you know this is this is kind of how it's proposed that we learn things. This is how we learn language. Is you sort yeah. of defer to people that know what's going on, and you learn bit by bit, and everybody sort of shares in a collective knowledge that we are constantly teaching each other. Yeah. True. Yeah. Huh. That was really really interesting. Yeah. That's a, yeah. That's a lot to think about. Like, yeah. Well. It, it's it's so. It, it it's it's a alternative to Sheldrake's telepathy. Yeah. Um. <laughs> true. Very true. Yeah. Mind boggling. Uh, yeah. So in this weird combination of group selfishness, because we we associate intelligence with social animals. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. Um. But this weird group selfishness mentality might also shed some light on how intelligence seems to develop because like you know octopus are solitary animals and we you know we talk a lot about you know how it's it how how intelligent they are Mm -hmm. and and they continue being delicious they also continue to (laughs) die after they reproduce which seems to be a problem most concerning yeah, octopus only live about two years. The most, seriously, most, yeah, yeah, like really? a lot of uh, large cephalopods actually do not live very long. Even large ones, like like giant squid, don't live very long. Like they get to that size very quickly. Octopi, huh. um, the males die after they, uh, you know, basically give the female sperm, and then the females basically starve themselves uh protecting their eggs and then they die jesus yeah so really interesting yeah i i've actually i've i've dove on a shipwreck and seen uh octopus uh in the wild before yeah they're they're insane they're they're crazy but you know it's like you go up to the spot where they're living and you can see that they've arranged all of the shells of the animals that they've been eating around them 
What? Like, there, there's just like a pile of shells, and it's all the same type and size of shell, and you're just like, mm-hmm. wow, this is another little being. It's uh, it it's tr- it's truly weird to come into contact with something that you 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 feel like we ought to be able to communicate with it because it's that intelligent. Yeah. That's yeah. wild that they would just have their shells around like it was like candy wrappers or something. Yeah, after yeah, a snack. Yeah, it really though. It's um, but but it's it it's figuring out how to recognize like yeah those different types of things. Like I I was once sitting in an airport, uh, you know, it's like coming out of Montana, like you do, and you're sitting, Sorry. and somehow I got talking to this woman, and she was telling me about how she raised mules. Huh. Yeah, and. According to her, mules were smarter than horses, and people yeah. interpret it as stubbornness. But she Oh, that's interesting. According to her, she's like, no, horses are mules aren't dumb, they're just smarter. Um uh, or sorry, mules aren't stubborn, they're just smarter. Like she's like, you can ride a horse hmm. and you, the horse will basically go where you tell it to. The horse will go off a cliff if you tell it to. And mules won't do that interesting mules have that self-preservation streak this is according to her some random lady i met at an airport so. well no, i've heard i've heard yeah, this before I was, though. <laughs> really i was gonna say like <laughs> is there no like like anything going in the back of a horse's mind being like oh if i fall <laughs> off this cliff i'm gonna die i I'm, guess not well, i mean horses, like uh, horses I don't know, I don't teeth horses. take up horses t- teeth take up more volume in their head than their brain um Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it's, but but I mean, it, it's also you know, it's not like mules are a completely different animal. I have I have heard though that that is a that is a thing. I mean, God knows if it's true, but I remember hearing that like horses are pretty dumb compared mm-hmm. to like donkeys or mules, mm. um, who are more not like self aware, but can kind of be like, well, hold on, now I'm not going to do with this. What are you talking? Yeah, about? but but like, now now we've introduced a completely different metric of of intelligence because like mm, is yeah. that is that more intelligent like there, there's there's so many different ways to go about this about looking yeah. at non-human intelligence mm-hmm. it, it's yeah. it, it's it's such a web well i think it's like what needs to happen in you know now to the future is really this idea of like decentering the human which yeah is happening in, at least in the art world and i think around us scientifically too where we have to kind of start looking at things not from our own lens, like not from our own viewpoint, because it's the only way we're going to understand it. But yeah. if we're like, if we're associating, you know, human traits to animals and measuring intelligence by what we deem intelligent, then it's always going to be biased no matter mm-hmm. what, I feel like. And so I think what's, that's kind of what I find interesting in, in animal intelligence and trying to understand it mm-hmm. is is that kind of notion of, well, okay, you know, like, what is the intelligence of a uh, you know a raven, let's say, compared yeah. to a cat, and how are they different, and how are they similar, and how does that measure up to human intelligence, and why are we special and they're not? You know, it's yeah. like I found out that like you know ravens have like the theory of mind, which is essentially mm. that they can understand that other people have like conscious th- thoughts. I'm pretty sure, or like that they can change huh. their behaviors and whatnot. Yeah, it's really weird. Like they understand that that like wow. you can be different or you can have something being on. You have your own kind of life. 
I I'm, yeah. I might be oversimplifying and, and per- paraphrasing, mm-hmm. but you know, yeah. I find that kind of interesting to think about that they yeah can un- can understand that, and we also have that and understand that. But again, then yeah. it's like, well, who made the rules and how do we decide? Yeah, I get and, lost and then, in a psychological. And then you, you get it. You get into this whole other weird thing where like it's like I love esoteric religions and mysticism, and yet I cringe at a lot of new age spirituality uh (laughs) yeah so i so i'm i am i am equally fascinated by animal intelligence but i also like i i tense up i resist a bit until i hear someone you know talk it out but like there's like a we also like a weird new agey component to to people that are like animals are like just like us man you know they're just as smart as us they feel just the same as us you know man you know that, man that and like be, uh, and, and and you also get into a weird thing there where you're like i i you know it doesn't even have to be in relation to us maybe we don't experience things the same way as them yeah uh, exactly it's, it's you 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 tread in very you're on thin ice kind of like when you're talking about this stuff because you have to like explore this thought that that Mm -hmm. people still fall into this weird anthropomorphizing uh linguistic Mm -hmm. uh trap when they try to give agency to animals because they give it specific it's always a metric by human intelligence exactly like Because, you know, yeah. we, we're like, you know, we're also in an era where we're like finding out how much do plants communicate with each other? Because they seem to. Um, yeah, it's. Yeah, Michelle yeah. knows about that. Yeah, because plants seem to be able to communicate, right? I, I, I maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, in like junior year, I have this one good friend of mine who was a like. He was in, like, physics A and, like, B. Like, you know, like, those, like, tiers of, like, physics. Sure. And, yeah. And um, he was really passionate about science as I was. And I was in AP Bio at the time. And we were studying mm-hmm. plants. And we were we saw this video by Mythbusters mm-hmm. about how plants can, res- like, are, like, screaming when, <laughs> when you light them on fire. Jesus. Based off, like, this frequency thing. So my friend and I, we lo- I, like, went to him and I was like, Yo, what if, what if sound like could sound waves and stuff like affect a plant's growth? Like if you say mm-hmm. like, because people are always like saying like if they if you like say like you talk to your plant, yeah, they, like, yeah, grow better and stuff. Or like if you like keep on hating on your plant, <laughs> calling yeah. it names and stuff, it you like bully your gets plant. Depressed. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. Like, and so we started like thinking about it, and we we're like, oh my god, yo, let's do an experiment. Let's do a research project on it. Uh-huh. So. My dad and I, we decided to test this out, um, and we decided to experiment on it. So we got, like, this enclosed area, and we had this one plant and, uh, like, two of the same plants, and we had mm-hmm. a little post-it note on each one to signify who's plant number one and plant number two. Right. And they were getting out. the same amount of sunlight from the lamp and uh-huh. the same amount of water. And so what we were doing was we were saying – I love you, plant number one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when we would mm-hmm. give it water, and then on the plant number two, we would say, "I hate you, plant number two. Jesus. And after like at least a month of 
studying it and taking pictures every day, we started noticing that plant number two was decaying. Mm. Like it had, huh. like, I, I have to send you the pictures of these. It was <laughs> absolutely crazy. Like there was literally like someone took like a blowtorch and just stick it in the middle of the leaf. Like it was decaying. It mm. was freaky. Weird. And we were just like, well, that's weird. And I mean, like, I guess that kind of sparked us to actually go dive into it with a more, like, controlled environment. Because, like, obviously you can look at that and be like, oh, that's crazy. But then it's like, well, there was a lot of variables yeah. there. Yeah. So sure. it's not considered something. But it yeah. was something that kind of interests us in wanting to know more of how this worked. So then, yeah. like. Right. Yeah. So, exactly. like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, I've heard people. I've heard people say that they've been able to replicate something like that and i've also heard people say that it does nothing so i'm sure there's a lot of factors there however oh yeah you know there's as 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 we sort of like try to look at the world more holistically and start to you know not look at like humanity as some disease upon the planet but rather a a component of it it, Mm -hmm. you know like like our bodies only function because of a whole host of other organisms. We do not exist independently on this planet because one, the bacteria that lives in our gut allows us to digest food. And also we're heterotrophs. We, oh, yeah. we, mm-hmm. we can't produce our own energy. We have to, uh, we have to eat things. We have to eat other organisms. <laughs> Maybe you do. Yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot I'm you can. Fo- I forgot. I forgot you can photosynthesize. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, I forgot. Oh, we're we're the. I, for- we're I forgot the, the the Shiminos are uh, chemotrophs that live mm-hmm. on mid ocean ridges, sucking yeah. in volcanic chemicals. Yeah, you didn't know that. I mean, that's yeah. why I wasn't eating anything in Italy for the whole time. <laughs> yeah, you were just like, hang I on. Absorb my. Energy. You hang on, like, hang on a minute. You jump into the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, I run all find, the way there too. F- find a volcanic vent. Hang out with yeah. some tube worms. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is Supernatural on the Rocks, a new Supernatural podcast hosted by two of the voices behind Glee on the Rocks. I am Emily, a longtime viewer of Supernatural who could never let it go. And I'm Mandy, a fan of the start who did let it go, but it just wouldn't stay gone. Every episode, we cover a season of Supernatural. Digging into the mythology, the characters, and the fandom it left behind. With extra episodes when we need to talk just a little bit more. Because there's always more to talk about, isn't there? So join us to remember the road that was. At Supernatural on the Rocks. So, but there's, you know, more of an idea of perhaps we have a shared intelligence with all of these other organisms. And I say that, you know, as as someone that's trying to avoid sounding like, you know, a guy that lives in a bus. (laughs) (laughs) Because to be totally honest, a guy that, you know, told me about a similar experiment to this lived in a bus. Uh, He was also also the bassist in my band for a minute. (laughs) Oh, fair. Well, I mean, (laughs) I mean, like, we literally, okay, so what sparked our curiosity was, like, our whole unit on plants is talking about their behavior and how they react to certain things. Yeah. Like, 
I forget the specific terms, but they all end in tropism. And it's basically like, well, if you like, there's this one plant where if you touch it, the leaves all crumble up almost automatically. Oh, yeah. And then there's this one oh, where yeah, it's yeah. like, where they, where they start, they move towards the sunlight. And like, yeah. if you mm-hmm. had like a bunch of them and stuff like that. So that was kind of more like our curiosity as well. Oh, I mean, yeah. I think it was just kind of interesting to see like that plants could have like types of behavior. Yeah, there's there's so many things that we don't think about that plants react to. You know, plants growing towards the sun, plants, you know, are capable of movement. But also it just seems like there's more and more evidence to suggest that trees in a in a stand of trees, a forest even, like on some level the trees seem to be sharing Oh yeah. Seem to be sharing information and nutrients with each other. Oh yeah, I remember I remember watching a whole video on that by um D News, which is now called Seeker Now. They're like this mm. like two million plus YouTube channel that does a ton of like scientific videos and stuff that used mm-hmm. to follow like all the time. And they did a whole video on that. Yeah. Where they like they had like the research in like huh. the description and stuff. And I was looking into it. It's wild. Yeah, how, like, I mean, trees can, th- like, there's, talk there's to even each a other. guy on TikTok I see every now and then who like oh. <laughs> hooks up hooks up uh mushrooms to his synthesizer oh, i was gonna talk about that because i have that uh ah. that module yeah because i it's a, my my dad you know our dad as well um was kind of interested in that and how the the frequencies uh the bio what is it it's um biofeedback that was the thing we needed to yeah, record the, our data yeah, we were trying to <laughs> figure yeah, out they, how the heck we were gonna record data because like when we were trying to like plan this whole thing out of how many variables we need to test in order to to be justifiable. It was going to take us years because we had to like figure out how to do it without this type of technology. And then when you came to me being like, yo, I got it. I was like, oh my God. Like uh, in Struo, which is a, it's a Scottish uh, modular company makes all kinds of awesome stuff. And they make one called the, the Sion, which is a, it's a biofeedback sensor that basically it, it, makes like random voltages so instead of having like a different modulation source you can use your actual body or anything Mm -hmm. that has energy for lack of a better word Mm -hmm. in it to modulate your synthesizer and you can organize it and put scales and stuff it's super cool but what's interesting is like you know when i use it you can actually test it on different plants i test it on myself and it will change you know of course because it's, it's reading your heartbeat as a clock and it's reading okay. other things inside. But what's interesting is when you let the mushrooms or you let um, plants connect, it will modify and change. And depending on how many settings you're putting through your synth and what you have mm-hmm. hooked on, it will, um, you know, it'll it'll change. But yeah. I think it's interesting that, you know, they really, if you hook it up, they can technically control your system depending on how simple you make it and how easy mm-hmm. for it, uh, for them to do it. But I think... You know, because I also saw Mushroom Guy on, on TikTok, and that's how I found that synth. <laughs> and I found his YouTube channel, and it's really cool because he, he's definitely, like, into music and into um, – and I'm blanking on his name, but and as into, uh, you know, mushrooms and, and how to understand the different uh, techniques of what you can introduce that will make more sounds that won't, that won't make it. If then you touch the mushrooms, how that reacts to the sound waves, all super interesting stuff. And I love synths, so, of course, it's my – you know, I was immediately fascinated. <laughs> but what I think is interesting with that yes. is that it opens up this entirely new door to plants possibly having some sort of intelligence or some sort of, you know, yeah, actual life source, even though we know they do because we well, yeah, they're alive. Things, but, yeah, they're alive, but I feel like that's taken for granted a lot. You know what I mean? 
Because then, yeah. like, not to jump into crazy amounts of moral relativity and trying to understand, you know, what we can eat and what we can, and if, you know, you're stepping on grass, is it hurting the grass, you know, whatever. But, like, I think it is interesting to open that conversation eventually. Grass doesn't want to get stepped on. Don't grow on the ground. I, I mean, yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, we just need we just need moss lawns. That's really the future. Oh, but... now you wait wait till you find out what the moss thinks about it. <laughs> yeah, no lawns. We're gonna be in space from now on, floating yeah, around. I but... I mean th- this this is where I kind of like like I I understand vegans that want better animal welfare. Uh-huh. That's totally valid. Like if we are going to sustain ourselves off of other beings then they deserve a certain amount of dignity because i feel like we harm ourselves when we harm them yes and agreed we but i i feel like you get into this weird thing of like with with that logic of we can't eat other animals because they have thoughts as soon as you prove plants have something similar to a <laughs> yeah. thought, it's over, yeah. man. Like, well, yeah. Then what are you going <laughs> I, to I eat? I feel like that's such like the idea of being like, oh, well, we can't eat animals because they have thoughts. I feel like that's so. I don't know, like such like a, what's the word? Like it's just kind of like a weird, like a, an uncredible type of argument because it's kind of like if you look at science, right? Look at science. Look at all this basic biology of like the food chain and how the food chain works, how ecosystems work, how keystone species work. It's like, you know, like there's such things as producers, and then it's like primary, secondary, tertiary, and you know, they all eat each other to gain energy and stuff like that. And it's like when different animals, even outside in the wild and such, they eat other animals in order to survive because they need those nutri- nutrients in mm-hmm. order to keep on thriving. They're eating them for a specific purpose. Yeah. You yeah. know, so like when I look at eating meat, for example, or eating a cow, I always, I always, to myself, always thank it for being able to give me the nutrients because that's just, at yeah. least for me personally, it's like, because I'm eating them for that general purpose, you know, I'm not yeah. killing it. Just because yeah. I want to kill it, you know? I, I This is a specific purpose as to why I'm eating it, you know? At least that's for me, personally. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah. I mean, it's just when I hear people being like, oh, we can't eat any animals because they have a mind and conscious and it, it's unethical, stuff like that. It's like, okay, well, let's go with your yeah. thoughts here, okay? What if no animal ever ate anyone? How would the earth react? You know, I feel like systems would just immediately collapse. But also, like, where do you draw like that. that line? Exactly. Because it's that such po- a complicated topic. <laughs> because at topic. that point, the yeast in your bread <laughs> yeah. has dignity and, and should be respected. I mean, it's like, Ugh, well, it's I, so complicated. I, I, as someone that bakes a lot, yeast does have dignity. Yeah. Um, but yes, no, the things that we consume still, uh, the, it, consuming them and uh granting them dignity is those things are not mutually exclusive i think the the yeah. weird the weird thing is like if we stop using animal products and living alongside animals i feel like we deny ourselves something else like something deeper we are denying ourselves a connection to yeah. mm-hmm. other 
organisms and other non-human life. I think we need to be exposed to that, and we have to make peace with the fact that uh, they, we will take lives uh, to sustain our own. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, that that's not necessarily a dark, evil thing. I think it can be done out of respect. I'm yeah. honestly really sick of people comparing animal husbandry to chattel slavery or to the or I mean or yep. or to the Holocaust. Yep. Because for me, that is an incredibly oh. insulting thing. And it's like, I get it. Factory farms are bad. Please find a different metaphor or just stop using metaphors and just be like, we can do this in a more humane way. Yeah, we don't need I metaphors. I agree with you. We don't 100%. need metaphors attached attach to these because it's like, number one, we can all understand that industrialization is the problem right. and yep. hyper-consumer culture and this idea yeah. that everybody needs to eat meat at all times of the world and has to be available 24-7, that's impractical and it's not good sustainable choices. It's yeah. about sustainability. It's mm-hmm. about this idea of being able to feed a population ethically yeah. and also that will work to the environment. And not but but there's, there's, there's places in the world where meat is more sustainable and can be, yeah, yeah, be no, around no. because like... You know, mm-hmm. look at quinoa. Look at oh no, look at, yeah, don't even look, get me look started at, on that. Yeah, look at nut. Look at almonds oh and cashews God. and soy and all of these things that are like they're not problems. They they are a part of a healthy diet. But the fact that you've got a bunch of vegans being like, oh yeah, yeah, let's Just, do this, and it it arguably does more damage than just raising cattle yeah promotes actual slavery so <laughs> it's like it's 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 the you know what it is too and i think you're kind of hinting at it of being close to nature it's this idea of understanding what you're eating and where it comes from yeah and, and there needs to be a exactly. routine a, a return to that because it's like i don't understand this argument of and I myself do not eat a lot of meat. And I, in turn, tried to live a more vegetarian lifestyle. That's just yeah. how I like that works for my body. And I, I question, you know, where a lot of yeah. uh, meat products are produced from. However, it's like, why would I want to eat a synthetic diet? You know, veganism yeah. is a bit confusing to me because we have adapted to eat cheese and other types of animal products that don't necessarily hurt. Well, maybe animals. you have whitey. Well, I guess. Well, yeah. No, I'm kidding. I, I, no, I, love, cheese. No, no, no. I love cheese. Cheese <laughs> is good. It's the Mediterranean in me. But it, but what's, <laughs> what, what bothers me? It's it's like oh well, you know we'll choose to eat like a soy scramble or like synthetic foods that are artificially made, and I think that's like the most unnatural thing you can do to your body. And like yeah. there is a it, we should you know have more sustainable and more you know nutritious forms of protein that aren't necessarily from animal products, but at the same time. I don't think the fake ones are a sustainable and also a good choice. And it feels very like pretentious in a way to kind of assume that. Like it also kind of bothers me that people blame it on, you know, the everyday person, mm-hmm. why we have environmental mm-hmm. issues and why we have these problems. And it's like, that's yeah. not the problem. And you know, it's not the yeah. problem. And this is totally a thing for another exhibit, but I think tying yeah. it into these, these choices, it's it's bizarre to me to compare this idea of, you know, we can't eat animals because they have intelligence and intelligence means we can't eat them. So therefore we shouldn't. It's like, I don't think that that's really where the line should be drawn. I think you shouldn't abuse animals because, mm-hmm. you know, they have feelings and I don't think you should yep. abuse anything. Maybe in, we should in life. I mean, and I'm being totally serious. We shouldn't abuse plants either. 
Yeah, like, yeah. Absolutely. Like, but, you know, I even if you are uncomfortable with the idea of eating meat, like, let people wear wool. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I never understood that. I, that's why I could never, I could never get behind veganism for that. I don't get it. These are natural materials that are also, you know, regenerative. Yeah, wool or sheep need to be sheared. That's a thing. Let, yeah. It's okay. It's not like honey. People were drawing the line at honey. They're like the bees don't have a say. It's like wait, bees. Wait, like they really? Don't? Yes. No, no yeah. Joe. I saw this documentary where the bees actually uh-huh. sued humanity for. <laughs> 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 I forgot about that. Didn't the world almost die too? And Jerry Seinfeld was there. I remember, I remember watching that as a kid. Un, un, ironically. Right. Oh yeah. Like I remember yeah, just being did. like, "Well, that was something." Yeah. Didn't here come the here comes the sun play? Uh, or did I make that that, up? that one song? Sugar, sugar, do, 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 Oh, that's do. it. Honey, honey, that play. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right, because the honey, that would make sense. God, it's I, it's like a fever dream. I can't remember. It is a fever dream of a movie, but maybe it was yeah. on something. I think so. <laughs> I I really do, because, you know, it, at the end of the day, you know, the, the bees do seize the means of production, I think. Really a um, pro-communist movie, if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Well, but bees are bees are also uh, matriarchal, I guess. So I guess it's also a support yeah. of, I don't know, a parliamentary monarchy. Hmm. Hmm. We're gonna have uh, to dissect this movie now. Yeah, that, oh, that's God. that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, but I, but yeah, I think yeah. it all kind of comes into this sort of thing we've been yeah discussing for the you know the amount of time we have of of yeah you know where we draw these lines. Where animal mm-hmm. intelligence fits in with that. Now if plants mm-hmm. kind of come in. But at the end of the day, I think just not abusing these things and trying to understand how we fit yeah. naturally yeah. into this world is important. And also to yeah. kind of decenter our ways of thinking and how we view intelligence. Because I think, you know, even when you mentioned with the collective intelligence yeah. possibly being mm-hmm. in humans, but also in birds and this idea yeah. of it expanding past an individual is really a nice lesson to kind of to, or a really nice thought to leave off on yeah. of this yeah. idea of what's a question and how um, mm-hmm. it does kind of impact the world around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Well, well, this has been a really cool uh, yeah. conversation. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I really uh, appreciate uh, you coming uh, all the way down to the museum to be with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. thanks for coming. I yeah, appreciate it. You've, yeah, been, we... you've been sticking with us from the beginning, and we definitely mm-hmm. appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I guess uh, I guess we should guess... leave leave the birds for today. Yeah, they got to go take a nap. So. Because okay. that's what happens in an aviary, right? An avi- aviary, aviary, the aviary, aviary. <laughs> I'm missing Valley. Free Stephen Avery. Free Stephen Avery. This is why. Oh, this no. is like when I, when I spell like unknown, I spell it like uncone because I forget the N after the K. So, you know, Val. this is that 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 documentary also made me remember like. I this is also why I don't like people comparing animals to things because like. Mm-hmm. You know, poor Brendan's mom. She gets like oh, put yeah. through literally every emotional roller coaster possible. 
But yeah. then she like picks the dragonfly as oh, the yeah. symbol of uh, Brendan <laughs> getting free because she's like, because dragonflies transform. And I was wait, just like, wait. and it's like, look, knowing wait. what, as someone that took a class where we worked specifically with dragonfly larvae, and the fact that they are literally little monsters, <laughs> like that devour anything they can, and like they have a little, they have a little mouth that comes out of their bigger mouth, like the yeah. like the xenomorph. In oh the yeah, alien. Like, yeah, oh, like it's like, but like, hey, you know, maybe that's a bad comparison. But like, why dragonfly? Like when you think of freedom, I would think like birds or a butterfly or... yeah well, she was really yeah. into the transforming the transformation yeah. idea but in that case why wouldn't oh. you pick a butterfly yeah that's too girly oh. uh, i don't want to assume that i really don't want to assume I, that. Yeah. but that's but that's like i feel like it was like what other things could do that a dragonfly would become, <laughs> or it was just a genuine mistake i think a dragonfly would be the last thing i would think of for so, i mean dragonflies are really things. cool they're i mean i know I, I know you're biased against arthropods, but Sorry. you're 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 you're. you're uh, I have an irrational fear. Wait, is a rational fear? You're, are yeah. your phy phylogist. What would it be? What would it be if you're against a uh, a phylum, an entire phylum of animals? Um, phylus? A what? I don't know. Like, 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 <laughs> like, phylist? Cla- classist, uh, sexist, bi- phylogist? 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 Phylogist. Yeah, you're phylogist against arthropoda. Oh my know? god. I mean, this is new okay, we can look at the good news, though. I am working on it, though. Uh, wow. Working on we love it. to see people address that. Yeah. That, that's, what, that's, what, that's what the Uncanny County Museum is all about. People yeah. challenging their prejudices. It, yeah. Like, you know, you know, there used to be uh, giant uh, dragonflies. Uh, there, there was like uh, Meganura had like a three foot wingspan. Um, yeah, the, that uh, is absolutely This terrifying. is back in like the, Hi, the Carboniferous. I would have cried. Right. When everything was large, yeah. right? Well, yeah, the the oxygen content in the atmosphere was higher, so um, mm-hmm. so, so arthropods uh, could be bigger. Like there, there yeah. was uh, Arthropleura, which was like a giant centipede. No, no hate it. See, I, it's weird. Like I don't know. I just I find like the like because isn't it like for arthropods like there's like the exoskeleton, like the skeletons on the yeah. outside, right? Yeah, like. For, it freaks me out for some reason. Like I look at them, like, like it's not natural. <laughs> you know, like... the, weird, the weird thing is, though, vertebrates had vertebrates kind of had the same body plan for a while. Oh my um, God, we would have been the armor titans over here. Well, all of okay. So, like, if you're going back in time, like <laughs> we're we're talking about, like you know, Silurian, you know, era. Uh-huh. Most animals had some sort of exoskeleton, and that was just sort of the name of the game once really? upon a time for protecting themselves. Like, you know, you had, you, you might have an endoskeleton on certain animals, but, you know, it was so, like, like on echinoderms, but, you know, really that was, 
your shape. It was protecting the things inside. And if you hmm. look at early bony fish, they all are armored. They all have yeah. that's really exterior armor. And you know, th- there was obviously you know the novelty of the notochord. You know, our our in- our in- our ancestors' interior structure, but they were. It's more like we lost our exoskeletons. Huh. That's you know? really that's really interesting. Yeah. It well. I mean at least that when I took vertebrate paleontology that was sort of how it was presented. I took That's cool. Here's the thing. I took vertebrate and invertebrate paleontology the same semester. Um oh. and the huh. invertebrate professor uh was retiring that semester. So all of mm-hmm. our, like, our exams got canceled. Oh, our oh. lab exam got canceled. Uh, he just didn't want to grade anything. We turned. We were supposed to do a uh, a whole paper and presentation, and then eventually you just had to give a presentation at the end, and mm-hmm. you know just email him some stuff you researched and that was kind of the end of it so unfortunately that was my invertebrate education all right well (laughs) well maybe eventually we'll get our armor back and that'll be yes that'll we'll get it we'll get a nice Mm -hmm. uh chitinous uh exoskeleton uh while while we were back in florida uh Allison and I went out to this place called Mr. and Mrs. Crab. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh. Yeah. And um, they serve you uh, they serve you the crab in a bag, in a plastic bag. You like know, a lunch bag? Like a little like, like, like a, like a, a, a um, like a clear plastic bag. Yeah. Oh god. And the the crab's been cooked, but then they basically put it in the bag and shake it around with a bunch of spices and stuff. You have to eat it with gloves, so it's because it's so goddamn messy. Um, mm. It 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 was it was an experience, but like yeah, God, sure. it is it is so much work. Yeah, like, that's why I don't mm-hmm. eat crabs to to like eat a crab, <laughs> like get all that out of them. It's like yeah, is it, it worth it? I I think I have to stick like, and you know, it's not like I can eat it every all the time. It's like I have to go up to Maine until it's affordable. But like it's kind oh. of why I feel like I have to stick to lobster. Like it's just so much work. You know? Yeah. 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 This is why I just don't eat seafood. Saves you a lot of trouble. <laughs> it was, it's really just based on efficiency, Zan. Efficiency? Ah. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, I like that. Yes. I'm just a walking pun machine. Yeah, yeah. Um I love it. Yeah. Well, anyways. Well, well, this was fun. This yeah. was. I mean... yeah. <laughs> Is it really a tour wrap up if we don't tangent somehow? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, uh, let's see here. What do we got? Um, so uh, we've got some exciting stuff coming up in the future. We'll hopefully yeah. get to share with everyone. Um, if you want to check out some other uh, shows, you can check out Forced Football Facts, our friend uh, Colby White. Uh, co-hosts that over there. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they have lots of exciting post-football stuff, uh, post-Super Bowl <laughs> football talk to talk about. 100%. Let's see. Uh, we are excited to announce that we're going to be uh, 
doing some uh, exciting things in the future with our friends over at Supernatural on the Rocks. Another yep. really great podcast. And Joe, I am so excited to talk about Supernatural. Oh, yes, it's going to be great. Ooh, yes, yes, yes. Carry on, my wayward son. Ah, uh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see. If you want to uh, interact at all with the museum after hours, you can find us on Twitter at Uncanny Museum. If you want to find us on Instagram, we are at Uncanny County Museum there. Uh, what do you got, Joe? You got anything you want to plug? Midnight Drive? And... Uh, yeah, I got a work of mine, The Midnight Drive, available on radiopapeste.org under the uh, Sonora section in their archive. Feel free to check it out. It's a work that I've been producing for over five months now, and uh, I'm pretty proud of it. Yes, yes, you should all check it out. It's really great. Uh, Michelle, you got anything to plug? <laughs> Um, you should totally check out their Christmas special because it's one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm sure we have uh, Christmas. Do you have a? Do you... Yeah. Do you have your art account? Do you want to plug? Do you have any social uh, media? No. No, you're just a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, we'll have. Know. We'll, we have a. We definitely are going to do another movie again soon. Oh yes, um, I enjoyed that. I found them to be really entertaining. Oh, so yeah, um, nice. well, yeah. I okay. I heard a rumor that you watched it without watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> what is this Umbrella Academy? I heard a rumor. I, I had a... <laughs> ha, that reference. That reference okay. doesn't work on me. I've never seen Umbrella Academy. Oh, well, well, I guess that's my plug-in. Make sure you watch Umbrella Academy on Netflix. They don't sponsor <laughs> us. No, yeah. they don't sponsor yeah. the museum. We don't give money to Netflix in this in this establishment. <laughs> anyway, uh, I mean, yeah, I was building in The Sims Three. <laughs> yeah, as I as I because like to... literally though, like it's such a therapy game. Like I swear to God, I, I do not the plug Sims The Sims Three. <laughs> we don't get sponsored by that. Not sponsored yeah. by EA, yeah, but like know, hey. Sims you know, real game. girl dolls didn't even get back to me, and we practically did an <laughs> yeah, ad we, read for them. Yeah, we literally. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! You know what? I it I I I I would have fun with the ad read if we were sponsored would, by a sex doll company. It, you know, would be, it would be pretty wild. <laughs> but like going back to the Christmas special, I mean, I don't know. I just I found it fun hearing your guys' reactions, being like, <laughs> "Bro, what?" Like what? <laughs> no, it was just like I felt like I was there. Like I felt like I was a part of it. Well, we felt audience. we yeah. felt like everyone was there with us, you know. Yeah, including Jesus. Yeah, especially Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank remember, you again. Yes, remember to leave room for Jesus, as uh, my the uh, the chaperones at my middle school dances would say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again, Michelle Samino, my sister for. For coming to the museum. <laughs> yes. Double the Shimino this episode. Yeah, really. So, yes. From the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Zan Peters. And I've been Joe Shimino. Bye. Bye.